trust and obey. Thank you, Karen, for that, because that does really sum up this lesson today. What a time of worship we had with uh, our singing. Um, God alone is worthy of our praise. And then those testimonies, I, I love that. Thank you. And we're going to continue worshiping God who is here with us this morning as we look at his word. You know, I just had this thought when they talked about the inauguration. I think I heard that there were maybe two million people there. Did someone, is that right? Was that? That's what was probably on the east banks of the Jordan. I've been trying to get a picture of what is that like. That's what it would be like, Moses talking out to that two million people. I thought that was kind of a neat thing to, to think about there. Um, this week we're going to talk about listening. And so I thought it was pretty interesting to me when my brother sent me this email last week, and it was about a little kid that wrote a book report on the entire Bible. And you could tell he was listening, but he didn't always quite understand. And that can be the same way with us. We need to pay attention to what we hear. And so I'm going to read just a little bit of it. It's too long, but it's pretty funny. So I just want to read this first part um, at the beginning of the New Testament. He says, after the Old Testament came the New Testament. Jesus is the star of the new. He was born in Bethlehem in a barn. I wish I had been born in a barn too, because my mom is always saying to me, close the door. Were you born in a barn? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to say, as a matter of fact, I was. (laughs) During his life, Jesus had many arguments with sinners, like the Pharisees and the Democrats. (laughs) Jesus also had 12 possums. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. (laughs) Judas was so evil that they'd named a terrible vegetable after him. (laughs) Jesus was a great man. He healed many leopards. And he even preached to some Germans on the mount. I love love it. I'm never going to look at asparagus the same. We're going to talk about listening today as we continue um, this semester with our book of Deuteronomy, and we're looking at it to answer the question, how do we face an uncertain future with confidence? Deuteronomy is the final words of Moses. It's his long farewell speech, and he's talking to the children of Israel. The Israelites are on, the two million of them are on the east bank of the Jordan River. And this is after they have wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting to go into the promised land that God had promised their forefathers, Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And we learned last week that Moses had, that through God, um, using Moses, that he had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, from the powerful and cruel Pharaoh. They had made their way down to Mount Sinai, also called Horeb, and that's where God gave the Ten Commandments to the people. His words on how to worship and live in fellowship with God and man. Then God told them to go in and possess the uh, promised land, Canaan, but the Israelites were afraid. They had forgotten God's power and God's goodness. And so God said, and this is my paraphrase, fine. Then have it your way and wander around in the wilderness until you die. And then your children will go in and possess the land. And that's where we are now. 38 more years had passed. That generation had died off. And now the children of Israel were ready to go into the promised land. But before they do, Moses wants to give them these final words. 
Last week in the first three chapters, we saw Moses reminding them of their past. And we said that it's important for each generation to remember the past because it gives us our identity. It helps us to know who we are and what we are supposed to be doing in the future. Moses wanted them to remember God and how God had worked in their past, to remember his goodness and his power, to remember that he enables us to do what he asks of us, to remember that he keeps his promises, that his plan is best, and to remember that God is always faithful, even when we're unfaithful. So let's turn to chapter 4, and we're going to look at a couple more chapters in Deuteronomy today. And I want to say something pretty uh, interesting to me while you're turning to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy is written as a renewal of the covenant between God and Israel. We, we know that. But what is interesting historically is that there was a Near East treaty uh, kind of legal form that people followed when they made treaties with each other. And Deuteronomy is written in that form. God used Moses to write this book in that form of a Near East treaty that those people in that time would have, rec- would have recognized. Now, for us, uh, we're, we're not familiar with that, but it does kind of help us to get an outline of the book of Deuteronomy, this long book, in our mind. So I'm going to tell you that real quickly. The first thing in a Near East treaty would be a historical prologue, and those are the first three chapters that we saw in Deuteronomy that were history. Then a Near East treaty would have basic stipulations, kind of basic overall things of the treaty. And we're going to see those today in these chapters we look at and in the next two weeks. So through chapter 11 are the basic stipulations. Then a Near East treaty would have specific stipulations, details. And we're going to look at that when we study chapters 12 through 26. And then after that would come a summary clause We have that in Deuteronomy, chapter 27. And then this was interesting to me, that the Near East treaties would have a list of blessings and cursings that went along with this. We also have that in Deuteronomy. We see that in chapter 28. And then there would come the final agreement, um, or in this case, a recommitment to the covenant of God. And we see that in chapters 29 and 30. So that's kind of a little outline. I thought it was interesting. I hope you kind of find that interesting, too. And you can kind of look at that as we go through Deuteronomy. So let's turn and look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 1. And it says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. I've called this lesson, Listen Up and Pay Attention. Did you ever have a coach or your parent or somebody say, Hey, gather around, listen up, listen up. And when you heard that, you knew some, whatever was coming next was important. And then sometimes they might add, if like my mom, would say, pay attention. And I realize that I've gone through and said that to my children as well. Pay attention. My husband says it like this to the kids. Think about what you're doing. And I think today's word would be focus. So listen up. Pay attention. Focus on what is coming. Moses says, hear now. And we said that um, hear was going to be a lot in the book of Deuteronomy. Actually, it's used almost 100 times. And that is a lot. And it means more than just listening. It's, it's more than just words falling on our ears. To hear means focusing our mind and our heart and our will on the Lord. Receiving what he says and doing it. Warren Wiersbe says that the word of God must penetrate our heart 
and become a part of our inner being if it is to change our lives. James said it like this in the New Testament in James 1.22 on your verse sheet. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then Jesus said in Matthew 13.9, he who has ears, let him hear. He says this same phrase about eight more times in the Gospels. He who has ears, let him hear. And what he is saying is, listen up, pay attention so you can know who God is and know what to do. Moses is saying it here. He's saying, listen up, Israel, and pay attention to what I'm about to teach you. I want you to know God. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter 4. We're going to learn more about God. And it's important that we know God so that we can do the next step in chapter 5, which is obey God. Verse 2 says, Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. This is uh, talking about an incident that happened in uh, Numbers 25. Numbers is the book right before Deuteronomy, and it tells us a great number of things that went on uh, while they were wandering in the wilderness. And so let me just summarize this um, event. The people in the land where they were traveling through the wilderness had invited the Israelites to come to a religious uh, feast which involved worshiping Baal, a false god. And it included sexual relations with the temple prostitutes. So those that went were caught up in this frenzy of idolatry and immorality which resulted in God's judgment. Numbers tells us that 24,000 Israelites died from a plague. But those who refused the invitation, who did not worship Baal but held fast to the Lord, they remained alive. God is a holy God, and we are to fear him. We are to fear him. Now, that doesn't mean that we're just scared to death, shaking in our boots, although sometimes I think if maybe God, we saw heard his voice, we, we might feel like that. But, but fear means to respect him. It means to revere him. It's, it's even greater than respect. It's to respect who he is and what he says. We are to revere him and to hold him with awe and wonder. God's word is holy. We respect God's words and we believe it and obey it. And that keeps us in fellowship with God. And that gives us life. And because God's word is holy, we don't change it. That's what verse 2 is saying. You don't add to God's word and you don't subtract from God's word. God's word is holy. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, we know that they added to the law of God. Their attempts, the religious leaders of the time, they started out wanting to keep the law, but they began to add so much to it in explanation that it became a burden. And it became a lot of ritual um, activity that didn't have any meaning. And Jesus said, this is a burden and it's not right. We don't want to add to the law. And I hope you had some good discussion on that and how we might do that today um, in your small groups. I also think that subtracting from his word is pretty easy for us to do. It's when we decide, I I don't really think that's true, and I'm not going to do that. We're subtracting 
from God's word. One uh, phrase I read said that the believer's authority is God's word. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. I love that. So let's read verse 5. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I am setting before you today? You know, we um, obey God's word because God says obey it. But what's really neat is that he tells us why he gives us this words. There's good reasons for it. And the first reason we see here is because it makes us wise and understanding. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to have understanding? Then know God and what he says to do and do that. And that sounds a whole lot like what we just said was the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, and I forgot this on your verse sheet, but it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Another reason that uh, God gave us the law is so that others will see God as we obey it. It is a witness to the unbelievers. This was God's plan. Others would see him in relationship with the Israelites, and they would come to know him and to believe in him also. Unbelievers today can see that we have a God who is close and personal, a God who is alive. We have a God who is alive, so stay in relationship with him. And verse 9 tells us how. Moses says, remember, there's that word we're going to see a lot. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, when he said, oh, I'm sorry, verse 9, only be careful. And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Verse 9 is a very important verse, and I can't believe I just about skipped over it because I've got it underlined in um, dark, and you might want to underline it as well. I think it could be uh, one of the most important verses in this whole section that we're looking at today. Moses says, pay attention and do not... Forget the things of God. Do not let them slip from your heart. I think this verse really gripped me because it's this picture, visual picture, not of one of rebellion where we cross our arms and we stomp our foot and say no to God. You know, that's that's not really me, and I think most of you probably aren't that rebellious either. No, this is a picture of how slowly, over time, I become lax in my devotion to God. So one day I'm not thinking about him. And then the next day the distractions of the world get me um, caught off guard. And then I begin to uh, enjoy the momentary pleasures of doing things my way. Maybe getting involved in ungodly things until one day I am far, far away from God. I have let the things of God slip from my heart. Don't let that happen. Talk to God every day. Read his word and listen to his voice 
every day. You know, that's why people tell us to read our Bible every day and to pray every day. Not so that we're legalistic, not so that we can check off the box and say we've done it. It's so that we can stay in relationship with God. This is how we stay in relationship with him. By listening to his voice, by reading his word, by talking to him. We have a God that wants to be in relationship with us. Don't let him slip from your heart. And, by the way, teach God ways to your children and your grandchildren. And why wouldn't you? If this is uh, the way of life and blessing, why wouldn't you want that for your children and your grandchildren? And then in verse 10 we read, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, and this is uh, the first time God gave the law, and you can read about it in Exodus 20. It says, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses is reminding them of when God spoke to their forefathers. And some of the ones when they were real little might have um, remembered that. God speaks, so listen to him. God speaks, listen to him. You know, other religions have gods, and maybe they even have a form of their god. But their gods are not alive, and they do not speak. Our God is alive. He speaks to us, so listen to him. Our God is the one true and living God. He alone speaks. And then verse 15, let me uh, summarize this through 24. This tells us that God is unique. And because he is spirit and has no form, don't even think about making an image of God. You can't do it. And it will only lead to idols, and that will lead to idol worship. And he says when you look up in, in nature, when you look out and see the beauty of it, Don't, you know, God created that, but he's not that. So don't take a flower or a tree or some part of nature and make a symbol of that to represent God. And don't look up in the heavens and see the sun and the stars and think of the power of God and then take one of those as a symbol to represent God. That's not God. God is spirit. We cannot make an image of God. That will only lead to idols, and idols are dangerous. They turn us away from God. Only God is God. So worship him only. And yet, this is so hard for us to do. I read a quote that said, Our mind is an idol-making factory. It's so hard. And God knew that the Israelites were going to turn to idols. They would worship him and turn away from him. And Moses says, When this happens, it will be disaster. It will be disaster for you. But... When you come back to your senses, return to God. Seek after God. Now, the consequences of your sin may have some lasting effects, but if you search after God, you will find him, because he will not abandon you. Verse 31 tells us, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. God is merciful. Return to him. You are never so far away from him that you cannot turn back 
and find God. God will not abandon you. And then let me summarize verses 32 through the end of the chapter. Moses is reminding them again of the power of God. Of the power of God, of the things that he has done in the past to show us his power. First of all, there's creation. And then he talks about how he, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And then he took them out of uh, Egypt. And we read that in 37. It says, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength because he loved you. God is powerful. We go on to see the um, last part of that chapter, and he's reminding them of God's power that they've just seen displayed in their very recent past. And that's what we talked about last week when we talked about how God had given them possession of the land east of the Jordan River, how they had gone in and they had conquered Sihon, king of Heshbon, and they had defeated Og, the giant king with the big bed and the walled cities. They had defeated him and taken possession of the land. God is powerful. Verse 35 tells us, You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God, and besides him there is no other. Moses wants us to remind us that we must know God. Because to know him is how we are enabled to go on and obey him. And that's what we're going to see in this next chapter, chapter 5. Once again, we see Moses. He summoned all Israel and he said, Pay attention. Listen up. Listen up. He actually says, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. He's telling them to pay attention to this and hear this. This is important. And in verse 3, he says, It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. And what he means by that is that the covenant that God made in Exodus 20 with his forefathers when he first gave the law, it wasn't for them alone, but it was for this generation as well and for all Israel that was to come. But... They would have to commit to it personally, each one. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. Moses repeating God's words to them so that this generation could make a fresh, unreserved, heartfelt commitment to the Lord. Today, each one of us has to individually and personally accept Jesus as our Savior to have a relationship with God. I'm not in relationship with Jesus because my grandfather was a Nazarene minister or my grandmother taught Sunday school or my mother loves and serves the Lord today. You're not in relationship with Jesus because of your husband or because you were born an American or you were baptized as an infant or went to Sunday school when you were little. No, none of that. You must individually make your own statement of belief in Jesus. It's that faith that brings salvation. Nothing else. And so you may say to me, well, if that's true, Deb, and I'm under grace, then why are we looking at these Ten Commandments? Why are they important? And it's true. As believers in Christ, we are under grace. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says to us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not works, so that no one can boast. 
Keeping the law doesn't save us. That would be works. But the moral law of God still stands, and God still judges sin. It is still wrong to lie and to cheat and to steal and to commit adultery. Those things are still wrong. And even Jesus said in Matthew 5:17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Another reason that we look at the law of God is because that's how we know the God of the law. When we study that, the Ten Commandments, we know more about God and we know how to please him. The Ten Commandments reflect his character. So let's look at that as we go through these. And we might be going through them a little bit quickly. They're familiar in a lot of ways, but there's still plenty to think about with them. But look at God's character that we see in each of them. The first one in verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. God is sovereign. There are no other gods, only me. That's what he's saying. It's only me. I am the one and only God. And so the second commandment makes sense to follow. It says you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. God is spirit, so don't make any idols. Don't worship any other gods that will turn you away from the one true God. Idols get in the way of our fellowship with God. You know, idols are really what we make um, in kind of our image of what we think God should be. Instead, let's ask God to make us more and more like him, more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. And then we see, oh, and by the way, there's a little, you know, punishment and uh, blessing that goes along with that as you read. You know, the, our children are watching us and who we worship. Love God. Let them see you loving God and send that legacy of love down through your uh, children and grandchildren. The third commandment says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God is holy, and his name represents his character and his reputation. We are not to use it to manipulate God. We're not to use it um, by attributing to God what is false, and I think we have to be very careful of that. When you say, well, God told me that you should, that is a very uh, powerful statement. You're attributing something to God. Be very careful when you say something like that. We are to honor his name, not to use it uh, in silly banter or with curses or irreverently. And um, I've, I've heard, I don't text, so, so don't, don't be texting me because I'm not going to text you back. But I've seen all these little you know, letters that people use to, for, to shorten it up. And I've seen this OMG. And someone said to me that that meant, means, oh my God. That it would be kind of an exclamation that people say. You know, you may think that that seems harmless. But it's not. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, this fourth commandment is um, the only one out of these ten that's not repeated again in the New Testament. And so there can be some controversy, and I don't want to get into that. I just want to explain it a little bit. The fourth commandment says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. To the Lord your God. 
Now, this commandment to observe the Sabbath really set Israel apart from all the other nations. It set them apart as a special nation to God. In Exodus, when God first gave this commandment, he talked about God creating the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. But when we read it here in Deuteronomy, Moses in verse 15 has said, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He's reminding them that in Egypt they were slaves and they worked every day, all day. But God had delivered them from that. They were his own people. So by keeping the Sabbath, it was a reminder of both God's original creation of the world and also this creation of Israel as a nation. You know, some will also say that this uh, commandment serves the purpose of meeting the need for humanity to have a rest, a regular period of rest. And others will argue that as believers, we don't celebrate a Sabbath. We observe the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday, which Sabbath uh, is the last day of the week on Saturday. So I don't want to get into a big discussion here on what's right and wrong and what you, I just want you um, to pray about this and decide what this, what this means. Um, for me, I think it makes sense in our busy and hectic, hectic lives that we would take a day out to rest. I think that's good spiritually. Um, it's physically and mentally it's good and spiritually it's good to take a day and be still and reflect on God and to honor Him. Now these last six commandments talk about our relationship with others. You know, God is a relational God and He made us relational people. And our relationship with others are important to God. They're important. And the first one is honor your father and your mother. And it has a blessing that goes along with it in case you need motivation to honor your father and mother. And I don't want to take that lightly because I know there could be some people in this room today that has had a mother or a father that did um, very hurtful things to you, maybe even unspeakable things to you. You need to ask God how he wants you to honor your father and your mother. You know, one way you can do that is by forgiving them. And once again, you will probably need to go to God to ask him to work in your heart so that you can do that. And teach your children to respect Um, to respect you as parents. And one way of doing that is to respect them. The next commandment, you shall not murder. You know, I don't think any of you are going to get a gun and go out and kill someone, but there are things to talk about with this commandment. And I don't want to get into all the exceptions, you know, war and different things like that. Um, But there are some situations, issues that face us, like abortion, like assisted suicide, There are issues that are real um, in our life today that we need to think about in light of this commandment. God is the life giver. The next one, seven, it says you shall not commit adultery. You know, God is a faithful God and he is a pure God. And marriage as believers is a picture of Christ and the church. We have a high calling when we marry as believers. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to your husband. You know, I don't think anyone in this room would purpose to commit adultery. It happens almost innocently. Some man comes your way. He begins to show attention. He's kind. He listens. 
Um, you begin to talk to him, maybe flirt with him, and you begin to share intimate things. And when I say intimate things, I just mean those things in your heart that are important to you. Your desires, what you care about, you begin to share those. And then that leads into a relationship. And the next thing, ladies, you are way over your head. You have to guard against that right at the very beginning. Be careful of those relationships with the opposite sex. Be careful of those. And commandment number eight, do not steal. I don't see you running out and robbing a bank, but yet we know about uh, stealing, stealing little things, things that we think may not even matter. There's tax fraud, there's insurance, there's things, ways that we can manipulate stuff. I really think this commandment is asking us to be honest, to be people of integrity, do things that are fair. One comment even talked about stealing joy from others. You know, I don't know how far you want to take it, but you might think of might think of that as well. Be people of integrity. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, this is really talking about perjury in court. God is truth. God is truth. Jesus tells us in the book of John, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is truth. And as Jesus' followers, we want to be people of the truth. So think about the words that come out of your mouth. Are they truth? Is it gossip that you're spreading around, which maybe could be false testimony? Our words should be careful words, words that glorify God, that honor him, and that bless others. Are your words careful, or are they careless? Are they um, speaking untruth? And then 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's husband, You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or her brain or her looks or her clothes or her car or her vacation or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Oh, my. Now, this commandment, this is kind of like hitting close to home. This is hard. And you know why, ladies, this is hard? Because coveting comes from discontentment. Coveting comes from discontentment. If we were to come to an understanding and believe that God gives us what is good and what we need, then we would be content. Now, he doesn't give us all the same things. He gives each of us what we need and what is good. And when we believe that and we begin to thank God for that and focus on that, then contentment comes into our life and coveting is not a problem. Verse 22, Moses is summing up here by telling them once again more of that story of when God spoke to them and gave them the Ten Commandments. And we learn in that part that it was actually so awesome and so fearful that they were afraid when they heard the voice of God. And so they say to him in uh, 27, Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. You go, Moses, back up into the mountain because God's voice is awesome here. And we will listen and obey whatever you tell us that he said. And then we see this intimate picture of God in verse 28 of of how he loves us. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Observing God's commandments leads to fellowship with God and blessing. 
That's what happens when we obey God's word. It leads us to fellowship with God and blessing. Now I want to go over quickly these last, uh, I mean, first nine verses in the uh, chapter 6 for two reasons. One, because we see here the greatest commandment of all, and it sums up all these commandments we've just looked at. And also because we see our motivation for obeying God. And that is love. Love is the great motivator for us to obey God. And why do we love God? Because God first loved us. And we see that in verse 3. Circle the word here, O Israel. Listen up to this. Be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. God loved these Israelites first. He loved them before they were even born. He had promised them this land hundreds of years before they were born. And it's the same with us as well. God has loved us from the beginning of time. We read in Genesis 3 with the sin of of, uh, Adam and Eve that God then was making a plan to redeem us to himself. And that ultimately would be Jesus Christ. And we read about that in 1 John 4.10. It says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John 3.16 says it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We shall have eternal relationship with the Lord God. God loved us from the very beginning of time. And that is why we love him back. And from that love comes our obedience to his commands. And then verse 4, this is a very important verse. It's very important to the Jewish um, people still to this day. It's called the Shema, and that's what here is in Hebrew. The Hebrew word Shema means here. And they say this every Friday when the mom does that, this is what she says. Shema, here, listen up, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And a devout Orthodox Jew today would say this. um, It's a confession of faith to God. He would repeat it every morning and every night. The Lord our God is one. And then verse 5, that great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that this is the first and greatest commandment. This commandment sums up all the commandments that we just looked at. Because when we love God, then we want to obey God. Verse 6 tells us, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, this is the second time that we've heard Moses say, Teach your children. Teach your children about the word of God. Teach them in planned times when you sit down. Teach them in unplanned times as you walk along, when you rise up and when you lay down. I have a friend that told me um, how her son-in-law gets up every morning and um, fixes breakfast for her grandson. And then he reads one of the Psalms. Now, her grandson is two years old. I don't know that he really understands the Psalm that they're reading. 
But what he is learning is that the word of God is important to his daddy. And it's going to be important to him as well. You know, if you don't have any children in your life, or even if you do, Christ Chapel gives you many opportunities to teach children. You could volunteer to work at kids camp in the summer. They're getting volunteers for that right now. It's in June. Hundreds of kids come for a whole week, and there's plenty of opportunity to teach them God's word during that time. If you want to do something on a more regular basis, you can go over and talk to someone in the children's department today, and they can get you um, some kind of job teaching Sunday school, where you might teach children on a weekly basis or, or on a monthly basis, however you would want to do that. Or um, there is uh, Good News Clubs. I just heard that we, we're already at South High Mount, North High Mount, and Como, and now Stripling has called, and they want us to do a Good News Club there. That's where children come, and they hear the gospel. Melinda Rogers is somebody that you could talk to to get you involved with Good News Clubs. Children's hearts are open to the word of the Lord. They're soft. They're not cynical yet. They're not skeptical but they're soft. And I have an example of that in my own life. Um, two weeks ago, little Dylan, my grandson, was visiting. His parents were gone, and my husband was out, so it was just uh, Dylan and I alone in the house. He was playing, and I had a praise tape uh, on, and I began singing this song on the praise tape. And Dylan looked up, and he said, Granny, Granny, why are you singing that song? Why are you singing that song? Probably because I was loud and it was scary. But anyway, I said, Dylan, I'm just praising God. And he looked at me and he got up and he ran into the bedroom. And he comes out with this little children's Bible that I read to him, little um, Bible stories. And he goes, Granny, you read this to me. You read this to me. Now, Dylan is just two years old. Now, he's above average, but... um, (laughs) But not that above average. Children's hearts are open to the word of God. So teach your children. And it says, tie them on your foreheads and on your arms and on the door frames of your house. And you know, the Jew, Jews used to do that. They had little boxes on their head and on their arm called phylacteries. And, the, and a little box of, of some verse, I don't know what it was, on their door frame. And I thought, we don't really do that. And then I realized, I've been wearing this bracelet that I found this summer that says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11:28. It's one of my favorite verses, and so I wear it. I thought, it's almost like having it around my arm. I don't know, I'm not saying that you need to wear the Word of God around you, but have the Word of God near you. Maybe you want to have it in your home somewhere. Someone gave us, I'm very grateful for this, when we were first married, a uh, verse. It was actually out of Joshua. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Someone gave that to Scott and I. And Scott has put it in every home that we've ever lived in on the wall. Have scripture around you. Have the word of God. Listen up, ladies, and pay attention. To God's word. Because as you do, you will come to know God better and better. And that will cause you to love him more and more. And then it will be your great delight to obey him. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees.
Heavenly Father, you are an amazing, an amazing God. Father, you love us so much, and we, we want to love you back. Father, I pray for each woman in this room that you would open our hearts to know you, to really know who you are, Father, to see you for who you are. Father, that we might love you more and more. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your word, that we can hear your voice. I pray, Father, as we continue to look at Deuteronomy, that you would give us a great love for you, that you that we would not let you slip from our hearts so that we can trust in you and obey you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.